Okay, here is your tea. Hot, watch it. There's my orange juice. And I bought a muffin, but I think they gave me a small planet. <laughs> I should put that down. Thank you. I have napkins and utensils. I'm a big believer in forks. <laughs> <laughs> and you are not, apparently. So then? Yes. You were born? I was born like everybody else. I grew up like everybody else. Good? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what else? I was school, <laughs> and I had a Bonanza lunch pail. <laughs> this show, the 60s, a TV show. When I was 10, I wanted to be a magician. So I used to hold these magic shows for all the kids in the neighborhood. I tried to make a neighborhood girl levitate, and she didn't. several stitches <laughs> the end of my <laughs> in my life. Um, and this is really hard for me to say. <laughs> and then she got uh, sick. And um, then she was gone. And uh, it's taken a while. We should probably talk about something else. <laughs> So you're telling me that you're one of those widowers with three daughters who preys on unsuspecting women in bookstores? It seems that would be me. Been there. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems that it's been seriously hard. No. Um, no, we're, we're okay now. We're really okay. better than the alternative. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hope. Uh, the 8 o'clock service showed us who the real morning people are, and the 11 o'clock service shows us who the really smart people are. So <laughs> good to be worshiping with some really smart people uh, right now. We are on uh, the Miracle March, taking a look at some of the incredible and miraculous stories of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're going to get to Mark chapter 4, and Jesus and his disciples are on a boat trying to get across the Sea of Galilee when they are hit by a really strong storm. There's all sorts of things for us to think about in this story as we look for connections between the biblical story and what it is that God is up to in our lives. That clip we just watched is from a movie called Dan in Real Life. Steve Carell plays a widower. His wife died about four years earlier in, in that story. And so he's a single dad trying to figure out how to raise his three daughters who are growing up, growing up a little too uh, quickly for his comfort. He's also a columnist in a newspaper, writes an advice column. Uh, he's a relationship expert. And so he has his three daughters and they're going on an extended weekend with their extended family. And one afternoon, he finds himself at a coffee shop slash bookstore, meets an interesting woman, and spends the afternoon just kind of sharing his life story with her. There's a lot of good in his life story, and there's also a lot of hard in his life story. 
Uh, one of the great privileges that I have being a pastor, uh, you let me in on portions of your story. You know, how did you end up at Hope? Uh, what God has been up to in your life, making you the person that you are today. Last week, we talked about Kairos moments and the ways in which God's time intersects with our time, chronological time, how often it's just the right thing and the right way that God shows up and it kind of propels us forward in our faith. These Kairos moments, defining moments, the more I hear your stories, the more I see that there's a connection between our Kairos moments and the hard parts of our stories. Like the thing that strengthens our faith, causes our faith to grow, causes our faith to mature. Often, it's these hard times, the storms that we experience in life. And that's part of what we're going to learn from this miracle story in Mark chapter 4. But before we get there, let's do just a little bit of a summary. What have we been learning in the gospel of Mark so far? Now, Jesus arrives on the scene in Mark chapter 1, and he proclaims or announces the good news of the kingdom of God. The time promised by God has come at last, repent of your sins, believe the good news. You turn the page to Mark chapter 2, and now he starts to demonstrate what the kingdom is like. And he does this through miracles. Mark chapter 2 is a miracle where he takes a paralyzed man and heals him, miraculously heals this man who's paralyzed. This is the story Pete Smith preached on on Wednesday night at our Ash Wednesday services. And Pete encouraged us to look for the unexpected Jesus during this season of Lent. In the 40 days leading up to Easter, in what ways might Jesus surprise you with what he's doing or, or what he's saying, what he's up to in your life? And can I just say, uh, you are a church that continues to do unexpected things. Like so many people showing up for Ash Wednesday services, my family and I had to sit in overflow in the very uh, back row uh, out in the hallway, and that's awesome. God's doing incredible things, very good things in our day, in our time, just like God was doing back in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a man who's paralyzed. Turn the page to Mark chapter 3, he heals a man with a deformed hand. And then listen to what Mark writes after that miracle. This is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. One of the things you'll notice about Mark, it's a very detailed account of the life of Jesus. And so, Jesus is becoming a really big deal, and notice the details that Mark wants us to pay attention to. Very, Jesus isn't just a big deal locally, he's becoming a big deal regionally, and Mark tells us the specific regions from which people are coming, they've heard about Jesus and they want to be there because maybe Jesus will be able to perform a miracle in their life as well. The other detail I really like is, verse 9, he instructs his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd doesn't crush him. I mean, you talk about overflow crowds, so many people just kind of crushing in, wanting to get as close to Jesus as they can. He might touch them and heal them. Jesus is like, let's have a boat ready that can jump onto the boat at a moment's notice so I don't get hurt by the crowd. His disciples are seeing Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, demonstrating the good news of the kingdom, and teaching about. You turn the page to Mark chapter 4, it's parables where Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God is like. By the time you get to the end of chapter 4, disciples have seen Jesus do all kinds of things. They've heard Jesus say all kinds of things. They're in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee, which is sometimes called Lake Gennesaret. And on the other side of the lake, they expect Jesus will continue to do what Jesus has already begun to do. But first, the storm comes. Uh, in college, a couple of summers when I was in college, I worked for a carpenter, and we did a lot of roof work, shingling of roofs. And I remember the first day on the job, climbing up the ladder, getting on the pitch of the roof, it took every ounce of athletic ability I have, and I have a lot, to be able to balance myself on that roof and swing a hammer at the same time. It was scary. I'm like, I'm going to fall. How am I going to do this? That night when I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep, I found myself sore all over in, in parts of my legs that I didn't even know I had muscles. And it's like, how am I going to be able to do this all summer long? But I did. And it didn't take very long before my muscles weren't sore anymore. They were strengthened. And I started to feel very comfortable up on a roof, climbing up a ladder, scurrying around the rooftop, sometimes carrying heavy loads of shingles on my shoulder. I got so comfortable up there just after a couple of months. Imagine how comfortable I'd have been if I did that year after year after year. Andrew and Simon Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we are told they are fishermen. They fish for a living. And where do they do their fishing? On the Sea of Galilee, on Lake Gennesaret, the same body of water where the disciples find themselves with Jesus at the end of Mark chapter 4. They grow up on that water. They earn their living on that water. They've spent the majority of their life... I think it would be difficult for us to overstate how comfortable the disciples were on this lake, in a boat, even in the middle of a storm. They'd been through plenty of storms before. But there was something about this storm in Mark chapter 4 that made these fishermen uncomfortable. Let's read together what they say to Jesus. Mark 4 verse 38 is on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? This, is, this storm is not a metaphor. It's real, it's dangerous, it's threatening, it's scary. And these strong, experienced, been there, done that fishermen, they believe they're going to die. And they believe Jesus doesn't care. Ever been there? I mean, these guys, they've, they have evidence, they've seen evidence that Jesus actually does care about the less than ideal circumstances people might find themselves in. And when Jesus sees someone in a situation like that, they've seen, they have evidence that Jesus will act. He will do something to help, to give hope, to, to heal people in these kinds of situations. And so they are left to believe that Jesus, because he is not acting, because he is not doing anything, he doesn't care. If he cared, then they wouldn't be on the verge of drowning. They wouldn't be screaming out of fear. They believe Jesus has the power to do something about the circumstance they find themselves in, and they believe Jesus is just choosing not to do anything. I was talking with my friend Jason earlier this week. I've been friends with Jason as long as I've been friends with anyone. In first and second grade, we were on the same t-ball team, the Indians just conquering the t-ball fields of Eldora, Iowa. I made the all-stars and Jason didn't, but that's a, you know, just a detail. It doesn't really matter. Um, 
We went to high school together. We were roommates in college and roommates after college. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. When I came to Ankeny to be a pastor here, Jason moved to Southern California and was a pastor in Southern California for about a decade before moving back to Iowa. And shortly after he moved back to Iowa, Jason started to experience a storm in his life. He couldn't sleep. He would go to bed, he'd be tired, exhausted really, and he would lay in bed waiting for sleep to come and it would not come. And initially it would just make him angrier and angrier, but eventually it started to make him scared and sad and kind of the full emotional range. And he would reach out to us, his friends, and say, could you guys just be praying for me month after month after month? Pray for me to get some sleep. Pray for me to get some rest. And so I'm emailing with Jason earlier this week, and we're emailing about this passage that I'm preaching on this weekend. And I asked Jason, could I share a little bit of that email exchange with you? And he said, sure. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Here's what Jason wrote. The contents of my life over the past couple of years have led me to very similar thoughts. Jesus, do you see what's going on? Jesus, do you not care that I'm drowning, that I feel like my life is over? Jesus, I think you care, but what's going on makes me wonder. Jesus, I think you have the power to do something about this, but maybe you don't. Jason continues, I wish I only had to deal with these questions for a few minutes, like the disciples, rather than month after month after month, with no seeming end to the storm. Are you good? Can you see? Do you care? Why don't you make it stop? And we all have our own version of that story, don't we? Doubts and questions and circumstances in our life that make us wonder. Where is God? What's God up to? It doesn't matter. Really, it's one of the things we all have in common. It doesn't matter if you're still not quite sure what you believe about Jesus, haven't come to any conclusion about that, or if you've been following Jesus for decades, one of the things that faith is all about is learning how do we bring our questions, our fears, our worries, our concerns, how do we bring that to Jesus? How do we lay at his feet and trust that he's going to provide whatever healing is needed? The Bible is filled with stories of women and men who do this, and it's filled with a God whose response to the questions and the doubts of people, God is not upset or annoyed or disappointed in those questions. God welcomes those questions. So the disciples at the end of Mark 4 go to Jesus with their questions. And let's remind ourselves what Jesus is doing when they come the questions. Here's the beginning of verse 38. Read this out loud with me. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I mean, it's almost laughable when you stop and, and think about it. The disciples are in complete freak-out mode. They are melting down, and Jesus is taking a nap. It's actually probably not the most accurate way to describe the sleep that Jesus is in. If I'm in a nap, typically it's just like I've kind of, you know, I used to be really jealous of my father-in-law. When the 10 o'clock news would come on, I'd look over, he'd just be sound asleep sitting up in the chair. I'm like, I wish I could fall asleep in a chair like that. I'm getting closer and closer all the time. <laughs> you know, you're just tired and you're trying to keep your eyes open, but then all of a sudden you realize you're asleep. That's not the kind of sleep Jesus is in. And Mark says Jesus is asleep at the back of the boat, but look at the detail that he includes with his head on a cushion. In other words, this is not accidental sleep. 
Jesus took a cushion or a pillow or something soft and he positioned it with great purpose, with the intent of how can I get as comfortable as I can possibly get so I can have a deep, deep sleep. Jesus is sleeping and he's sleeping like a baby. And the disciples think he doesn't care. It's a lack of concern. This is how they interpret it. Which is, of course, one way to interpret what's going on, but it's not the only way. Someone could be reading through this story in Mark chapter 4, someone who knows Jesus is the Son of God, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to this man, and so he performs miracle after miracle after miracle. And then you come to this story where Jesus is asleep with his head on a cushion, and it could cause you to engage with a pretty important question. If Jesus is comfortable, why am I uncomfortable? If Jesus is so comfortable, why am I so uncomfortable? I don't know about you, but when I am uncomfortable, my strong preference is that you would all join me in my discomfort. <laughs> like if I'm freaking out about something that I think is important, that I think matters, I don't understand why everybody else isn't freaking out about the same thing. There's something about us, I think I'm, I'm not the only one that does that. Like, as human beings, we want, as, it feels good if everybody else is as miserable as we are. And so in this, in this movie, Dan, in real life, this interesting woman he's having the conversation with turns out to be Dan's brother's girlfriend. And that leads to some really uncomfortable moments back at the house later on during uh, that extended family weekend. Dan is very uncomfortable with this reality, and he wants everybody else to be as uncomfortable as he is. He's freaking out, not really knowing what to do or how to respond in this situation. He's in the pit of misery, and he's trying to draw everybody else into the pit of misery with him, including his own daughters and one of his nieces and one of his nephews. Take a look. Lily, get your sisters and meet me in front. Now. Where are you going? Can we come with you? Can we? Can we? Can we? Um, actually, my girls are looking for a little quality alone time with their dad. But I promise we'll do it another day, all right? Lil, come on. Let's go. In the car. Girls, let's go! Dad, what is it? Nana's going to teach me how to knit. Kara, let's go. No. Okay, what are you waiting for? Come here. Right here. Right here. Oh, oh, you're so happy. I don't know what I'm going to do. All right. Oh, oh, my God. I don't think I can do place with all the shells and the paper mache shark. Honey, remember you love the saltwater taffy? When I was four. Yeah, but, okay. Stick with me, guys. Hey, well, I have an idea. Bowling. Yeah? All right, sounds good. Life is full of disappointment, big and sometimes even bigger. So, what's it going to be? The lighthouse or the whaling museum? Your pick. you know why we have lighthouses? Because they're neat? That's right, yes. And also because they help when it's dark out. They uh, help keep boats safe, 
and keep us from crashing into the rocks. Because when you're out there and you're being tossed back and forth by those big dark waves and you think that you'll never feel land again and that you could just split into a million pieces and sink down all the way down deep, it's the light that keeps us on course. It's the light. Dad, are you okay? Of course I'm okay. Honey? You guys have fun? No. no. Dan wants them to see that a lighthouse is a good thing when it's dark out, when the wind and the waves are raging. A lighthouse is a good thing in a storm, and Jesus is even better. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. There's going to be all kinds of storms in our life, all kinds of situations, circumstances that we go through that cause us to experience a great deal of discomfort. What if we could learn to grow in our faith in such a way that we actually start to believe it's good news when Jesus is asleep in the middle of our storm? That, that Jesus' comfort does not mean he does not see, he does not know, he does not care about our discomfort, but Jesus' comfort means he has all the power in the world. He has the power to keep us on course. He rebukes the wind, he silences the waves, and there is a great calm. A great calm. A great calm. I think for most of my life when I read through this story, I've kind of skipped that phrase. Everything's kind of chaotic and crazy, and then Jesus starts yelling at the wind and the waves, and then Jesus starts yelling at the disciples and rebuking them. Oh, ye of little faith, why are you so scared? And he's angry, and he's upset, and he's disappointed. With, with the, how, how come they're not learning faster? Is that really what's going on in the story? Is that really Jesus' tone? Is that really his attitude? Or is Jesus trying to communicate something different? Is this Jesus' way, these questions, is this Jesus' way of getting at what we've been talking about around here the last couple of months? Curiosity is the antidote to fear. Curiosity is the antidote to fear. Now, again, I, I want to be careful here. We don't actually have an audio recording so that we can know with 100% certainty what was Jesus' tone of voice here in this verse, verse 40. My uh, Old Testament professor would always tell us, what in the text leads you to that conclusion? As you're reading through a text, as you're trying to make sense of it, as you're trying to interpret what's going on, he says there's this great temptation that we all have to make the Bible say what we want it to say. So I don't get to just stand up here and say, here's what I hope Jesus is saying. Here's what I hope Jesus sounded like. We have to, what in the text leads us to that conclusion? Is he angry? Is he upset? Is he disappointed? Is he rebuking the disciples like he rebuked the wind and the waves? Or is he doing something else? Is he curious and concerned and trying to engage relationally with these men who are his friends, who he loves deeply, who he's training to change the world? What in the text leads us to whatever conclusion we come to? So let's dig into the details. Remember, Mark's a very detail-oriented guy as he's writing. Do the details help us figure out how to interpret this passage? So in verse 39, when Jesus is speaking to the wind and the waves, Mark uses this specific word, rebuke. 
And I was looking up the Greek on this and I was getting a little confused because where, where I was reading it said it can mean the primary definition of this Greek word means uh, to honor. And then like the fourth definition, the nuance of the definition is to rebuke. And I'm thinking, how can the same word be, mean both to honor and to rebuke? And so I called up Eli, who's a lot smarter than me. I said, Eli, what's going on here? And so he, he dug into it and the root word it can mean a respect or honor, but it has a prefix attached to it in this verse. So it means dishonor or disrespect. And I kind of like the idea that Jesus disrespects the weather sometimes. I think we all would like to disrespect the weather sometimes. He, we have an idea of his tone here, very specifically. He's upset, he's angry, he rebukes the wind and the waves. Mark doesn't give us a, ver a word like that in verse 40. How do we know what Jesus' tone is here, his attitude in verse 40? The only really clue we have is the word then, a connecting word. Then connects what is about to happen to something that has just happened. And what has just happened? A great calm has just happened. And you already know the Greek here, mega calm, mega calm. Before Jesus speaks, nothing's calm. The wind and the waves are not calm. The disciples are not calm. After Jesus speaks, there is a great calm, a mega calm. Everything, everyone is calm. And then he asks his disciples. And then he speaks to the disciples. Out of a great calm, he asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? What's his attitude? What's his demeanor? What's the tone of his voice? I think it's curiosity. It's great concern. It's genuine love for the hard thing that his disciples are going through. One of the things I've been doing the last year or so is something called a bullet point journal. Uh, when I'm having those times in, in my day where I'm super upset or super angry or super scared, just kind of like an emotional storm going on inside of me, uh, as soon as I have the opportunity, I grab my phone. I, like, I don't do it in the middle of a meeting or that side. When I'm alone, I grab my phone, open up the notes app, hit the microphone button, and just start Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Lord, here's why it's hard to trust you in the middle of what's going on. I don't know what storm you're facing. I, I don't know what you're dealing with, worries and concerns and fears. I don't know what it is that keeps you up at night and makes it hard for you to sleep. What if you started to do something like this? Just get honest with God about your answer to some of these questions. Again, I was talking with my friend Jason about this text, and we looked at these questions that Jesus asked the disciples, and Jason sort of did this bullet point journal thing where he just imagines Jesus asking him the same questions that Jesus asked the disciples in the middle of this storm. So go to the next slide. Jason, why are you so afraid? Talk to me about your fears. Jason, do you still have little faith? Talk to me about this. And so then Jesus, uh, Jason started to talk to Jesus about this. Jesus, I'm so afraid because I don't think this storm is ever going to end. I feel so alone and powerless to defeat it. I'm afraid I'm going to live a lifetime feeling as if I'm hanging on for my very life every day and that you're not going to change this. What if you did something similar? Just started to get honest and curious with God, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm thinking, here's why it's difficult for me to trust you right now in the middle of this storm. If Jesus is comfortable, why am I so uncomfortable? 
part of the reason we're uncomfortable. We easily become convinced our storm is eternal. It's going to last forever. But it's not eternal. God's love is eternal. And part of the reason Jesus can be so comfortable is his complete trust in God's perfect love for him. Uh, one more clip from this movie, Dan in Real Life. Uh, Mitch asks Dan, at one point they have this like family talent show, and Mitch asks Dan to pick up his guitar and, and they do a little ditty at the family talent show. Take a look. Last but not least, Uncle Mitch. Uh, someone very wise, uh, my brother, once told me that if you want to be completely honest, sing. Um, by the way, I'd like to introduce my band. I don't believe it. Yes, it played since she. Two, three, four. People keep repeating that you'll never fall in love. And everybody keeps retreating. Open the door, let my love open the door, let my love open the door to your heart. Let my love open the door, let my love open the door. Everything feels all over, everybody seems unkind. I'll give you a four leaf clover, take all the worry out of your mind. you from falling apart release yourself from misery only one thing gonna set you free and that's my love and that's my love let my love open the door let my love open the door let my love open the door You're so lucky that I'm around. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door to your heart. What he said. Let's stand together. Would you pray with me? So Lord, when we are being tossed and thrown about by the wind and the waves, we pray that we would come to you and we would learn to trust your perfect love for us. 
uh, that we would see how comfortable you are and somehow in the midst of that it would provide comfort for us to believe that your love can help your love can heal your love can give hope even in the darkest of days so we thank you for your love and we pray that you would strengthen our faith and we ask it all in Jesus name Amen.